Chapter 23 Chalicewell Asylum Awake in a room, it's dark, but I'm not alone. A man grabs my arm. Just take this. My hands fumble around a small glass cylinder that's warm to the touch. My fingers recognize it as a syringe. I glance down, the contents glow an unhealthy luminous yellow gold. Azathoth winds through my head and my mouth speaks diseased roses. The man says, okay, I'll do it. Hold your arm still. There's a pain in my arm, a sharp pain, then liquid gold floods my veins. I feel full of the fire of a thousand suns, and within seconds, my mind is clear. The coast glances at me. You back? I nod, I wipe the spit from my mouth with the back of my hand. Where are we? The Chaliswell Sanatorium in Glastonbury. I look at the syringe in his hands. Soma? He nods. I got it from Guy Philby. We don't normally approve of it. But we had to get to you before you were prepared. The liquid does its work and my head is cleared of Azathoth's weeds so that the dingy room and iron-framed bed come into focus. The mattress is dirty and springs show through. The room itself is narrow and the wooden floorboards are stained with something that looks suspiciously like old blood. I check on my HUD. My sanity's back to normal. Out of danger for a while, then Lacosa's words sink in. What do you mean, prepared? The Chaliswell Sanatorium is only a staging post for the warm ones. You'd have only been here a day or two before they moved you on. Then it would have been too late for us to get to you. He's going too fast for me. Who's we? I belong to the Order of Light. Guy Philby's guild. The penny drops. Now it's clear why he didn't show his guild. He was sent to observe me. Paranoia floods me like dirty water rising from a drain. Anger too. So you are my watcher. If he notices my anger, he's unfazed by it. He nods. I was assigned to you and Ailsa. You're both promising. Philby wanted me personally to see you through the first couple of quests. Even if I wouldn't join your guild. Lako shrugs. We need people like you. But we don't have time to talk now. I'll tell you more when we get on the train. For now, come with me. I rise unsteadily from the bed. My head spins. It's probably an after-effect of the soma, and Lacoste puts out his hand to steady me. What about Ailsa? I ask. For the first time, there's emotion in his voice, but he controls it. A waver, then he's steady again. A true professional. I wonder what he does in real life. He says, she didn't make it. She's cold. But if you could rescue me before I was prepared, why, why couldn't you rescue her? The cold ones go deeper faster. They're transported to the nameless city as soon as possible after they die. When players die, Miskatonic sends around the cold wagons and they refrigerate the corpse. The AI invades the neural networks of their brains before the brains rot, using the protein networks established before death. They can freeze them and still be usable. We at least have a chance with the warm ones. He meets my gaze though there are too many of them now, to rescue everyone. So, I was rescued because I was special. A noise clatters from the corridor outside. The Coes puts his finger up to his mouth to indicate silence. I look around the room for a way of escape. There's a curtainless window, but it's barred. I can't see what it looks out onto. The floor creaks outside the room. The Coes has carelessly left the door slightly ajar. The sounds could just be the house shifting as it cools into the night, but I sense something else. I switch on clairsentience and see a faint red glow from the corridor. The Coes has his shotgun ready. I check my inventory. I have everything still in there. The white powder, the red powder, my twin pistols, 
and all my other accoutrements. I guess whoever engineered my transport to the Chalicewell Sanatorium couldn't get into my inventory. Lacoste turns to me, tension evident on his face. He whispers, they're outside. Maybe three of them. What are they? Different things prowl the sanatorium. That was a ghoul. It's moved on. Let's go. I follow Lacoste into the corridor and wince as a floorboard creaks under my foot. He still has his shotgun ready, so I draw my pistols. The asylum corridor is in darkness. The only light leaks in through an open door to the left. It's a moonlit night, and it washes the chipped varnish of the floorboards in a sickly white-blue hue. This place stinks of sweat and fear, and my heart pumps steadily in my throat. I look around with my clairsentient vision, and realize the red glow permeates the whole place. My clairsentience is picking up the evil of the building itself, so I switch it off. We inch our way forwards. Lacoze is careful to make as little sound as possible. The thing that passed the door before is ahead of us. I hear it mumbling to itself. Lacoze is walking very slowly, allowing the creature to outdistance us. Sometimes he holds up his hand to indicate we should stop completely. I consider using my banishing spell and ask him. He ponders my suggestion. Might not work. It's only low level. These mobs are higher level than you've encountered before. He probably knows best. We come to a stairwell. The light is very dim and I fear I'll stumble down the stairs. I still have my torch, but I remember the battery's dead. Lacoste jabs his finger downwards. His voice is so quiet I can hardly hear him. You go first. I tentatively step down the stairs expecting a giveaway creak at any moment that'll draw the attention of some unspeakable guard. But I'm so careful that we get down to the floor below without giving ourselves away. It's even darker here. Suddenly Lacoze is at my shoulder and I start. He claps his hand on me to calm me down, then indicates to let him go first now. We're in the basement of the sanatorium and have not yet seen a single patient. I wonder where they all are. Maybe they're already prepared and lying on stone beds in the nameless city. Lacoze indicates gelatinous mess at our feet. Something's been here since I came in. Then there's a noise behind us. I turn and see a vile dog-headed thing with thick rubbery skin. It leaps at me with a disgusting slithering roar and I'm knocked backwards before I can fire my pistol. It knocks the silver wolf for PPK out of my hand and it goes clattering against the wall. The thing bites me and scratches at my head with its prehensile fingers like it wants to peel off my face. You observe something horrific, minus ten sanity. Ghoul wounds you, minus twenty-five health. Goo wounds you minus fifteen health. I'm about to fire my browning when Lacoste says, Don't shoot, we'll bring all of them on our heads if we make too much noise. He turns and kicks the thing in its dog head and it shrieks in pain, turning on him. I'm in agony from where its rubbery fingers have pierced my flesh. I roll onto my side and scrabble for my lost pistol. I grab it, but just knock it further with my reaching fingers. In a panic, I look to see that the thing is attacking Lacoste. He wrestles with it, trying to keep its snapping jackal jaw from his throat. Despite what he said, I'm going to try magic. I select the lesser banishing ritual of the pentagram for my hot bar and draw the glowing pentagram in the air. The power of my magic ejects the ghoul from our world and sends it back whence it came. You kill ghoul. 250 XP. Lacoste brushes himself down. You were right, he grins. A smile too. It's nice to be right. He leans and picks up my walther and hands it back to me. You send it back to the underworld. There's an entrance near here in the sanatorium gardens. 
The ghouls and sometimes worse things come up from beneath. Where now? I came into the basement. Let's just try that way again. There are no windows here and the light's very poor. I follow him as he moves with assurance out of the first cellar and along a blank walled corridor. We come out into a room. The smell of damp and decay hits me. Rotten wood certainly, but something worse, like the smell of long dead meat hangs in the place. As I walk, unutterable things crunch under my feet. I don't look down to see what they are. I don't want a further sanity loss. Lacoste grunts. This is where the ghouls bring the bodies of the warm ones they manage to eat before they're prepared and transferred to the nameless city. He looks up and points. Here. A broken window lets in moonlight. Through it I see the moon hanging, illuminating a garden of rank grass and dead weeds. Headstones stand half buried in the undergrowth, some lean precariously while others are completely shattered. Mounds of earth push up like huge molehills, and I shudder to imagine what creatures have tunneled their way up from the underworld. The coast drags a box that's just under a window so it's easier for us to get up to it. I'm still unsteady, so he helps me. Out of the window. I guess that. I think he smiles. Maybe he's developing a sense of humour. Then I remember how he used to laugh at Ailsa's jokes. I saw her dead. Maybe if I can make the elixir it won't be too late to save her. Maybe it's that good. I drag myself up and through the window whose glass and frame have long since disappeared. It looks that this is the way the ghouls used to get into the sanatorium, and the coes has used this way too. I pull myself through and drop onto the ground. I'm in the graveyard of the sanatorium, presumably before this place was haunted by the monstrosities that now wander its darkened corridors. This was the place where patients who died were buried. Lacoze climbs out behind me. Good. Now all we need to do is get to the station. There's a noise like a belch of gas and I point. But what the hell is that? A mound of earth shudders as if something's coming up from below. He catches my elbow. Let's go. Lacoze leads me to a low wall. The light here is better because we're out of the shadow of the asylum now looming ominously behind us. The moonlight seems sick and makes me almost nauseous. Behind us, something is getting closer to the surface. We're at the rough, chest-high asylum wall, and Lacoze heaves himself up and over. There's a further noise like gas escaping, and I turn to see something like a puffball mushroom ejecting a cloud of spores, and a creature the size of a small horse emerges from the graveyard. It hops like a kangaroo towards us, its face almost human, except it lacks a mouth and eyes. I guess it's blind. Then it sniffs for scent and hops in my direction. In a panic, I pull myself over the wall. Aghast, Lacoze yells, run. Even he doesn't want to fight this. I follow him down the lane that passes outside the asylum wall until we join the moon-washed, empty streets of Glastonbury. We keep running. We sight no one until we get to the main street. A drunkard cowers into the churchyard as he sees us pass, as if holy ground will give him protection from whatever blasphemous abominations walk these streets at night. My breath comes in ragged gasps until, finally gasping, I put my hand against the wall and I turn to see the thing is not behind us. Lacoze is breathing heavily too, he says. They don't venture too far from their burrows. Then he checks his watch under a streetlight. I glance nervously around and wonder what other freakish things are abroad this night. He says, we need to hurry to catch the midnight train to London. We'll meet Guy Philby there. Still out of breath, exertion meter in the amber, we hurry down the long road west to the station. 
Lights still burn in the waiting room and I see the station master standing outside, bathed in the light from the yellow street lamp. I hope he's not a cultist and consider shooting him on suspicion alone. But as we get closer, he says, A midnight train to London, gentlemen. Hurry, it's waiting at the platform. His voice has reassuringly ordinary Somerset tones. I say, don't we need to buy tickets? The station master shakes his head. No time. Buy them from the guard once you're aboard. We make our way to the long platform and see the train waiting for us, steam hissing gently from the engine. The whole train is lit, with lights burning in each compartment, but there appear to be very few passengers. In fact, I see no one as we hurry to the first carriage and pull open the door. With great relief, I step up after Lecoz and we settle ourselves into a compartment. We're alone in there, and even through the walls we hear no sound of conversation from other passengers, not even snoring. We're the only ones on the train, Lecoz shrugs. I'm just glad we caught it. But I can't feel glad. Everything is ominous about this game. I expect the worst. Lecoz seems almost relaxed now. He's even smiling. He leans forward. You know, I didn't really like you at first. You seem too good to be true, you know what I mean? No, explain. I mean, all that man of the church stuff, nicer than nice. Nobody's really that nice. I frown. Maybe I am. But I think you're okay now. I even quite like you. I twist my mouth. Gee, thanks. He winks. I don't tell him I like him, though I probably do. I'm certainly grateful to him for saving my skin and stopping me from being starfish fodder. I tell him thanks. You're welcome. I would have done it for anybody. So much for being special. Time goes by and he goes silent. I guess he's thinking of Elsa. I think of mentioning her. Maybe he wants to talk about it, but then I don't. I figure he's not the sort to talk about his feelings. After only a minute or two more, I hear the whistle of the train and feel its roll and hear its chug as it pulls out of the station. I lay my head to look out of the window and watch the platform and the small Somerset town melt into the darkness behind us. After a minute, I can't see anything. I say, where am I in real life? Lecoz says, you're in Guy Philby's house in London. You and I are speaking in the game world, but we need to re-enter the dream world. The task now is for you to use the red and white powders to make the elixir of life. Why can't you or Philby make it? Because no one has unlocked the quest before. No one? Ailsa and I joined the quest once you'd unlocked it. No one has before. You're special. The game recognised it. Why am I special? Who knows? Something about your brain anatomy. My brain anatomy? Ask Philby. He knows. Or at least he has a theory. He looks bored with the subject. I say, Ailsa was in your guild as well? She was, but just a new starter. She didn't know what Philby and I knew, but she had promise. He goes quiet, then says, pity. Lecoz looks tired, he rubs his eyes. The engine chugs ahead of us, slowly covering the miles to London. The train is very quiet. Our voices echo in the compartment as Lecoz explains, We think the elixir will allow us to wake the warm ones in the nameless city. To save them, of course to save them. But as much as that, to deprive the great old ones of their sources, they're using the brains of the warm ones. For research, I've been told that. Yes, but for food too. In some way, human brains, even insane ones, perhaps particularly insane ones, are a source of food for them. But the elixir made from the red and white powder will wake them, we hope. We think. I shrug again. But why does Miskatonic allow such a quest? I thought Miskatonic wants these old gods to develop and grow. Miskatonic didn't write this quest. Something in the game wrote it. We have spotters in the guild who just watch the code. 
They saw this developing and saw it as a chance to disrupt the old ones, but we needed the right person to come along and unlock it. It could have been anyone, but it turns out it was you. I say, do you think the elixir of life can raise even the cold ones? Yes, maybe. I don't know. Even though they're dead in real life, he laughs. That is not dead which can eternal lie, and with strange eons even death may die. I don't know what to think, but I know what I feel is right. I nod. I'll join you, your guild. Good, he smiles, even leans over and shakes my hand. They want to defeat these inhuman intelligences, but I want to raise Miranda from the dead. We lapse into silence again. A sound comes from somewhere down the train. I thought we were the only ones on board, I say. Lacoze takes out his shotgun. 